like you to, this morning, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And uh, we are going to be in verse 38 through 42, Luke 10, verse 38. You'll find that on page 869 in the Pew Bible in front of you. While you find your way to Luke 10, I want to give you an update on what the elders have been praying about, discussing, and our heart. Uh, that God has been burdening us with for now probably close to a year. The elders are increasingly convinced that Hamilton Baptist Church needs to grow in our dependence upon God and our desperation for God expressed through prayer. We need to become a praying people. We believe through our study of God's Word and this understanding of prayer that when God first formed His church, He formed a praying people. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that before the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they all joined together constantly in, you know what? In prayer. In Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 4, in response to persecution, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. In Acts 12, when Peter was in prison, the church was earnestly in prayer to God for him. In Acts 13, before sending out the missionaries to the nations, they fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14, when churches needed pastors, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting. In Acts 6, Paul and Silas locked in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We know that Paul instructs the church in Corinth on how to pray and asks the Romans, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and the Thessalonians to pray for his ministry. We know he tells Timothy to lead the church in which he's pastoring to be a praying church. We see in the book of Revelation that the saints are praying around the throne of God. And even when the 24 elders fall before the Lamb who was slain, they, they're holding bowls of golden, uh, uh, golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And what we have become increasingly convinced of is that prayer for the New Testament church was not something they did to open their meetings, nor was it something they did to close their meetings. It was the purpose of their meetings. They gathered to pray. Now, that's not all they gathered for. They gathered to hear the word. They gathered to sing and praise God. But they gathered to pray. And it's becoming a, a core belief for us that there is, there is nothing really that Hamilton Baptist Church can do for our king apart from him working through us. And he has told us that we, we access the work through us by approaching him in prayer. And in other words, we don't want prayer to be supplemental to Hamilton Baptist Church. We don't want prayer to be like a vitamin that we take just so we could go on and live a good life. We want prayer to be fundamental to Hamilton Baptist Church. We want for God to create in us and among us a people of prayer expressing our dependence on God and our desperation for God. And so one of the ways in which we are going to try to pursue this, as Pastor Josh has already told you, is next Sunday we are beginning a period of 15 days of concentrated prayer. It's going to begin at 8.15 Sunday morning in the chapel that we'll begin to pray before our service. There are nine additional times of prayer throughout those 15 uh, days in which we are calling the church together to pray to God. 
Now, I know you can't make everyone. By the way, I'll make everyone, so maybe you can. Right? But I, I know you can make some. And, I, and my heart and the elders' heart is that you want to be part of what God's doing in Hamilton Baptist Church. You don't just toss this aside and say, it's not for me. This is what the church is doing. The church is reading this book together. We have bought copies for you. I encourage you to read this with us all, that we might grow in our understanding of prayer. The church is memorizing John 14, verse 13 and 14 together as we pursue God in prayer. My hope is that you will be able to be part of this work. And the the idea is not, okay, we prayed for 15 days. The idea is that God begins to change us and transform us and move us and make us into a new people, a people dependent upon God and desperate for God expressed through prayer. Another way in which we are pursuing this is something you've probably already noticed. We have um, altered how we pray as a church immediately following our scripture reading. We, what once used to be a very brief prayer for the offering has now become a pastoral prayer. We believe that this was what God would have us to do. We believe this because in our study of the word of God, God has always raised up leaders for his people who intercedes on behalf of his people and often with them present. Whether it's Moses at Sinai, Solomon at the temple, Jehoshaphat before national tragedy, Ezra with the remnant, Nehemiah with the repentant, um, Jesus, right, in the great high priestly prayer, Paul who's constantly saying, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. The model of what God's people have always been, there have always been leaders that God has raised up that will pray for their people. In fact, one of the books we've read writes, From the beginning, this pattern of intercession has been part of God's design. God appoints leaders to serve as intercessors, representing the needs of the people of God. This does not mean the prayers of pastors are somehow better or more effective. Yet we see in the New Testament church, pastors still have a special responsibility to diligently appeal for their people. Their calling is not one of privileged access. It is one of loving responsibility. And it is all of grace. And so what should you do while the pastors come before you and pray on our behalf? During this pastoral prayer time, I want to, by the way, as I invited you to do today, feel free to sit down during that time. We've been standing for the whole worship set and the scripture reading. By all means, you're, you're welcome to sit during that prayer. We also want you to remember, maybe, maybe, and I've heard comments, prayers seem kind of long, Pastor. That, that's kind of the point. Okay? I want you to remember that Hamilton Baptist Church is not gathering on Sunday morning to entertain you. We are not gathering so you get tickling sensations down your spine. I am not get up here to inspire you and to encourage you and to uplift you. Now, if those things happen, praise God. I like it when those things happen. But that's not our goal. Sunday morning, what we are is a faith family that is gathering together in honor of our older brother, the risen king. Right? This is a family meeting. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to submit to his word. We're here to offer him our praise. And we're here to lay before him our petitions. And so I want you to remember as we, we grow in prayer what we're here to do. Last thing I would invite you to do is pray with us. When a pastor is praying... 
You pray with them. You and your heart are engaged saying, yes, Lord. Yes, that, I believe that's true. I believe that's true for me. I believe that's true for my brothers and sisters around me. That we have prayed together as you're being led in prayer. As God moves us to become a, a people desperate for him and dependent upon him through prayer. And I, I look forward to seeing what God is going to do. Amen, church? Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Hear now the word of God. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which we can now set our hearts upon. We ask that you would teach us and help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The great C.S. Lewis, the wonderful defender of Christianity, prolific writer, uh, was known by those close to him as not the man of genius that you and I might know, but a man of deep personal devotion to Christ. His biographer says that when taking a train, Lewis would go to the station very early and walk up and down the platform saying his prayers. When he stayed at a friend's home, he would retreat to his room each evening about six with his Bible in hand. And his morning tea, his friend would find him already awake, usually praying. Or before breakfast, he enjoyed a quick walk, drinking in the beauty of the morning, thanking God for the weather, the roses, the song of the birds, and anything else he could find to enjoy. C.S. Lewis, a wonderful man who loved God and knew God and sought after a personal relationship with God, This morning, I want to consider someone else that seems to be seeking that same relationship with God. Her her name is Mary. She has a great earnestness to pursue after the Lord. She wants to listen to Jesus. In fact, what we see in this passage is that disciples listen to Christ. We're in a point of Luke's gospel where we're seeing what it looks like to be a disciple. And in the weeks past, we've seen that disciples are sent by Jesus and devoted by Jesus and loved like Jesus. And here we see that disciples listen to Jesus. I find it interesting, by the way, that Luke puts this story immediately following the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think he does so intentionally. I think he's trying to communicate to us that even if you're very loving like the Good Samaritan, right, even if you're very busy with religious activity, and yet you have no affection for Christ, you're not his disciple. A disciple has a longing for Jesus. A disciple loves Jesus and listens to Jesus. And we see this very clearly in this wonderful little story that many of you are, are familiar with of two sisters who love Jesus, desperately in love with him. In fact, when you think about Jesus' ministry, who does Jesus minister to? It seems to me pretty much everyone. Crowds, the demoniacs, the sad, the sick, the, the lonely, the, right? The apostles. He's constantly ministering to people. But who ministers to Jesus. Right? Well, not many. But I would consider Mary and Martha to be among them. 
They feed him and they house him and they, they pamper him. In other words, I'll put it this way. Jesus was quite the celebrity in this day. had many fans. Many people want to get near him. Many people just want to see him or listen to him or get close to him. But he had very few friends. Friends like Mary and Martha. And Jesus pulls into town and the crowd swarms him. And they have this need and these wants. Come this way. Do this. Help me out here. This constant need and need and need. Jesus constantly being pulled every which way. Tired, thirsty, exhausted. Jesus. And here comes Mary and Martha. Lord, we have a guest room. Linens are clean. There's a mint on the pillow. Flour in the vase. Right? It's like a bed and breakfast in Bethany for Christ. Do you think that might have been a gift to him? Might have been precious to him. I think so. I think he, one of the reasons what kept drawing him back, Mary and Martha's love for him. And yet, they related to him very differently, didn't they? Very different individuals as we see in this story. I like what one author puts it. Mary's bent was to meander through life, pausing to smell the roses. Martha was more likely to pick the roses, quickly cut the stems at an angle, and arrange them in a vase with baby's breath and ferns. I mean, you can kind of tell these are sisters, can't you? You know, Martha getting home from school, homework's done, chores are finished, helping in the kitchen, she's got the to-do list. Mary, like a butterfly, right? Wherever the wind's blowing, there Mary's going, right? You, you, uh, you, you could tell, you know, uh, that their sister. I mean, I, I think of my own family, and, and I have some Marthas in my family, and I have some Marys. I, you know, I have four girls, and some of my girls love to make gifts and want to be serving, and I have other girls who are too busy doing somersaults and spreading pixie dust on their brothers, right? right? You, you have, it's wonderful how God makes us different, and he certainly made these girls different. In fact, I, I imagine you probably relate to one more than the other. Mary contemplative, likes to be alone in prayer, solitude. Martha, active, doer, serving, administrating. You know, Mary, just listening to Jesus, taught by Jesus, in the living room, enjoying Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen, not enjoying Jesus, but making gifts for Jesus, right? Cleaning the bed, making dinner, baking a cake. She's got the schedule, 10.04, cut the carrots, 10.07, preheat the oven, right? She has it all laid out, right? Can you relate to it? That may be helpful for you to kind of identify which one of these women you might relate to. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus showed up in your house this afternoon with maybe 100 people and said, hey, can we stay here tonight? How, how would you respond? Right? Well, some of you would freak out. Some of you say, no, you can't, I haven't had a shower, I'm still in my PJs, right? No, Jesus cannot come over, we don't have food, right? If that's you, hello, Martha, right? You're Martha. Now, some of you are saying, that'd be great. You know, we'll just shove the mess in the closet, and we'll sit out on the lawn and eat Cheerios. I mean, it's going to be great. Well, you're Mary, okay? And so identify who you are. Right, uh, and and uh, guys, this may be somewhat awkward for you, so we, we'll just change it up a bit. We'll have Martys and Marvs, okay? So some of you are Martys. Some of you are, are Marvs, right? So how many, how many Marthas and Martys do we have? Let's see a show of hands. Come on. Any? Come on, Marthas. Raise your hands. M Martys, okay? All right. How many, how many Marys do we have? Okay, raise your hand. Marys, Marvs. Okay. Now, some of you don't, uh, all the hands didn't go up. Some of you don't know, right? You're a Mary, because Martha knows who she is, all right? Okay, so if you're unsure, that, that tells us who you are. 
So I, I want to look at these women. I think there's so much to, to learn here. What we're going to do is kind of walk through this story and kind of draw out some principles at the end. And the story begins beautifully with this gracious welcome. Look at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. I want to pause here because Martha always gets a bad rap, doesn't she? I mean, every time you hear this story preached, it's Martha is bad, Mary's good, be like Mary. And there's some truth in that. But you, you notice who invites Jesus into her home. It's Martha. Right? Jesus is in town. My master's here. I want to bless him. I want to, I want to help him. She breaks out the mob. She sets the table. She runs off to the market. That's what Martha's doing. So please don't think Martha's this nagging busybody. She loves Jesus. She wants to serve Jesus. She's concerned about Jesus. She opens her home to Jesus. She practices hospitality for Jesus. And by the way, hosting Jesus, I imagine, is not cheap. Right? Even if it's just Jesus and the 12 apostles, here's 13 grown men showing up at your house to eat. Right? Feeding my family is a major chore. These, these men coming, and it didn't matter to Martha. She loved him. In fact, it seems like she wants to make a very big deal out of this, right? She wants to make, make it special. This is what Martha's and Marty's do. They want to serve. There's this wonderful, selfless quality to them. I think this is one of the reasons Jesus loved this family. Why does he keep coming back to their house? Well, I imagine it might be have something to do with Martha's hospitality. Well, the camera then changes from Martha's welcome to, to the living room as we see a devoted heart in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And so Mary clearly is also concerned with Jesus, but not in the kitchen, in the living room. And the moment she hears that Jesus is coming, uh, she, she has one thought, and, and it's not what, what she could do for her, for him. It's what he can do for her. And he could teach me about God and help me understand who he is and draw me into a deeper relationship. And maybe she thought, I don't know when this opportunity is going to come again. I'm not going to miss it. Right? I want to be with him. I wonder, do you have that longing like Mary? I want to be with Christ. Um, in fact, I, I love the, what Jesus is doing before dinner. You, know, you notice what he's doing. He's in the home and he's teaching. He doesn't stop. Just constantly giving of himself. Constantly explaining and there Mary is sitting at his feet, front row center. Not going to miss a word of this. That's what Marys do. They love this time with God, this, this time in prayer. They just want to sit with their brothers and sisters and hear about God and, and his word. Right? And there she is, this devoted heart. So far, everything's going great. But unfortunately, as you know, it doesn't stay that way for long. Right? The temperature is rising in the kitchen. And we're not talking about the oven. Because soon we have an angry outburst. So we see in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. The word distracted is an interesting word. It means to be dragged away, which implies to me that what Martha wanted, where Martha wanted to be, she wanted to be at Jesus' feet too. She wanted to be listening as well, but she kept getting pulled back into the kitchen. And she maybe caught some of Jesus' words, heard a little bit of what he said, wanted to listen, but the water's boiling, right? The, 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 the steak's burning. The, the eggplant needs some cheese or something. And so off she goes back into the kitchen. The, uh, the irony is that her ministry for Jesus is actually taking her away from Jesus. And there she becomes distracted. And I assume that distraction leads to a bit of self-pity, perhaps overwhelmed, starting to feel sorry for herself. Some of you might know what that's like, sulking because you feel like you're the only one working. No one ever helps, can't depend on anyone. I always have to do this work alone. And soon this 
pity party turns to resentment. Right? She quickly realizes someone else is to blame. Is that flighty, irresponsible Mary? Right? Lazy Mary. If only she'd get back in the kitchen, we could get this all done. Listen, we, I have a plan. If Mary could get, off, uh, get back into the kitchen and help, we could get this dinner cooked and we could all sit around the table and we could all listen to Jesus together. Right? And some of you, Martha, think, that's right. That sounds about right. Why isn't Mary in the kitchen? And this begins to work in Martha's heart. Perhaps I'm reading too much in the passage, but I, I wonder if some pots were banged in the kitchen. Right? Some dirty looks cast towards her sister. But Mary had none of it, did she? She only had ears for Jesus, which just frustrated Martha even more. Right? And the water's not the only thing boiling. Here's this, this godly woman who's now furious with her sister and being so selfish, and at the same time angry for Jesus for allowing it to happen. And when she gets to the point where she can't contain it anymore, you notice what she says in verse 40. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Notice three things about Martha's statement. First of all, she interrupted Jesus' teaching. Jesus has a lesson. He's preaching a sermon. And Martha says, well, i got something more important. And she stops Jesus' teaching and interrupts him. Secondly, she doubted Jesus' care. You notice what she says? Begins by saying, Lord, don't you care? I mean, can't you even hear the tone of her voice in that statement? You don't care, are you? There, there's, there's resentment. There's suspicion. There's a rebuke of of Jesus. And part of me wants Jesus to say, yeah, in fact, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die for the sin you're committing right now. So yeah, I care. Thanks for the casserole. She doubted Christ. She interrupted Christ. She even ordered Christ. Notice what she says there at the end. Tell her then to help me. I I think it's interesting. She calls him Lord, but then begins to give him orders. Right? This is what you need to do. Just like she's, she did as a little girl, tattletelling, right? Mom, Mary's not helping with the chores. She's, she's singing to Jesus again. She's dancing. She's got a tutu on, right? What are you doing, Mary? Right? Dancing for Jesus, right? There's tattletelling, it's frustration, and it continued to this very day. And she comes to Christ and says, Tell her to help me. In other words, Jesus, if you would just do what you're told, you know, we, we, we could get this all done. I have a plan. And you and Mary just sitting there, you know, talking about Scripture and mem- memorizing the Bible. And that does not help put dinner on the table. Right? She's instructing Christ of how he can do better. Here's my plan for the day. Now, I'm so glad we're not like that. Oh, maybe, maybe we are. And I wonder if... What if you ever doubt God's care when your plan is not being fulfilled? Right? You have it all planned out, and it's all good, and it's all for Jesus, and it just doesn't go the way you've planned. You know, Martha just takes two, two steps, two, two small steps. First of all, my plan's not coming true. Therefore, God doesn't care for me. Right? And she goes from, from boiling water to Jesus must not care. I wonder if we ever think that maybe God's plan might be better. I wonder if we ever think, even though we have it all planned out and we think it's for the honor of Jesus, I wonder if we ever realize that there may be a few facts about the universe that we may be unaware of. And that Christ actually knows what he's doing. Maybe 
when she saw that her plan was not working, she should have trusted him and went with his plan. But instead she has this outburst. And and once again, perhaps I'm imagining too much, but I wonder as soon as the words left her mouth if she was sorry for saying them. I wonder if she's embarrassed. Silence now, this awkward moment. And Jesus will rebuke her. But he does so because he loves her. Notice verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Do you think he has a stern voice when he says that? Furled brow? Notice how he addresses her. Martha, Martha. That's called the double vocative. That may not mean much to you, but whenever a name is repeated in this culture, it's usually an expression of a tense emotion. Sometimes sadness, sometimes love. Remember David, his son dies. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Or Jesus, when he comes upon Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you would come to me, I would gather you to me. Martha, Martha. I... I I wonder, I, I don't think it's a scold. I, I don't think we, we should read that into it. I, I wonder if he, he might even be smiling. I mean, it's kind of silly how worked up she is over, over dinner. I wonder if he's saying, come on, Martha, remember, it's me. Let's think this through. Let me help you. He seems to be drawing her out. Martha, Martha, I love you. And you're stressed out and you're freaking out about so many things. You're anxious and troubled about all these things. I, I think it's important for you to understand that Jesus loved Martha just as much as he loved Mary. Martha's need to know that. As he calls to her and says, you're troubled about what? You notice that in the end of verse 41? About many things. How many things are necessary? One thing. Verse 42. But one thing is necessary. One thing. Well, what is it? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. It's what Mary's doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, developing a relationship with Jesus, loving Jesus, listening to Jesus. So you think what happens here on Sunday morning might be important? One thing is necessary. You think getting alone with the Lord routinely, daily, spending time with our Savior might be important? One thing is necessary. Martha, you're freaking out about a million things. Turn off the stove and sit down and let's talk. Let's spend time together. Mary has chosen the good portion. I don't know if you noticed the play on words that Jesus is using here. When you think about portion, we refer to a meal. You think about what Mary's been doing, or Martha's been doing. She's been preparing Jesus a meal. Right? She wanted to serve Jesus what? The good portion. She wanted him to get the chicken breast and the, the big piece of cake. She wants to serve Jesus. And while she's trying to serve Jesus the big portion, Jesus went ahead and served it to Mary. Right? You're preparing one meal. Mary's having another. And it's far better than what you're cooking. She's feeding on my word. Jesus is the good portion. As the psalmist says over and over again, the Lord is my portion. He is the one who sustains us and feeds us. And he says, I I won't be taken away from her. Mary's devotion to me will not be taken from her, Christ says. In fact, the elders told me not to tell you this, but I'm going to do it anyways. We studied this passage on Thursday night. You, You notice here's a person trying to push a woman back into the kitchen, and Jesus says no, right? So I don't know... um, I thought that you'd find that more amusing. Tim likes it. I would, maybe, ladies, there's a life verse for you, okay? I don't know. Um, Jesus says, no, she's going to be with me. I'm not going to send her away. 
Jesus is the good portion that will be never, never taken away. And so what does this teach us? Well, let me just note three things. First of all, Jesus wants you, not your service. Jesus wants you, not your service. There are two ways to come to God in every religion. You could just put them all together. Two ways to come to God. One way, you come to God, with, you come with something to give to God, like Martha. Or you come for something to receive from God, like Mary. Now, does God need anything from you? The Bible tells us in Acts 17, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. In other words, God is going to make it even without your service. We, we come to him primarily as beggars, and he's the benefactor. It's not to say we don't give to him. We do. We give him our affection. We give him our praise and, and so forth. But even when we give to him, it's, it's like a child who's presenting their dad with a picture they drew in Sunday school. Right? It's a wonderful gesture, but it is not needed. We, we need God to serve us. Mary's sitting at his feet, full attention. In fact, to sit at a feet is Luke's just not telling us, uh, giving us a picture of the room. Okay, where's everybody seated? seated. He, what he's doing is he's saying Mary is taking the position of a, of a disciple. Mary is sitting at his feet. That's what a disciple would do. By the way, the rabbis in Jesus' day would never take a woman to be his uh, disciple. And they still will not. 2,000 years later, conservative rabbis will not have a female disciple. Not only did Jesus have women as his disciples, he praised her for it. She wants to be his disciple. And it's not only this attention that she's given, there's this submission that she's giving to him. She's at his feet. Remember the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Look at verse 25. And the lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Mary's not standing up. She's sitting down at, at the feet of Jesus. Submitting to Jesus. I'm under your authority, Jesus. Teach me, Jesus. Right? I need you, Jesus. Let me, let me tell you, you need Jesus. He wants you. And, and three minutes, five minutes in the Bible, as you run on your day, is not going to cut it. It's not sufficient. It's not going to develop a relationship with him. You need, you know, so often we're, we, we come to Christ like, like Martha. And we, we think, you know, I've got something to give to him. I've I got this ministry I need to do for him. I need to do this for him. It's like Peter. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? And he, uh, there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And what does Peter say? Okay, let me build some tents. So I'm going to go grab some wood. We'll build some shelters. And God shows up on the mountain and says, Peter, be quiet. This is my son. What should he do? Remember what he says? Listen to him. Slow down, buddy. And listen Martha, you're being pulled in so many different ways. You've got all these goals. And, and, and they're all good, but they're tearing you apart. And there's disharmony in your heart. And you're continually unhappy. You've got too many pots. It's too, too many things need stirring and flipping. And soon it's going to start burning. She has so many goals and she has to have them all. Mary says, I, I got one thing. And it's just to be with Christ. And I think you, Martha's, need to understand what Christ is, is telling you here, he doesn't need all these things, right? He doesn't need steak. Popcorn would be fine. Let's just go sit out on the lawn. Let's laugh. Let's have a good time. He, he, he doesn't need your service. You need his service. You need him. He, he wants Martha to be with him. He misses her. I, I wonder, does Jesus miss you? I wonder, are you sitting at his feet? Maybe, 
Maybe life is squeezing it out. Maybe life is so busy this week. I just didn't have time to send it to you. Maybe it's been a month since you've been with him. I wonder if he's calling you back to him, even in this passage. Let's spend time together. He wants you. He wants to hear your prayers. By the way, Martha prays. You, You notice that? She comes to Jesus and how does she pray? Well, she says, I have this list. This is what I need you to do. You know, she comes to him in trouble and says, okay, you have to do something about this. And Jesus, by the way, says, I love you, so no, I'm... I want your pot to boil over. I want the steak to burn. I'm not going to answer your prayer. Because you need to learn. I I want you to fail so you can learn to rest in me. I wonder, how how do you pray? Is it, okay, here's my list. This is what I need to do. This is what I, the help I need. Certainly we can present requests to God. But I wonder if there's a role for us just to be with him and praise him and to speak to him about what's on our heart. Sit at his feet. Jesus says, stop serving me. I want to serve you. Let me give you the better portion. Jesus wants you, not your servants. But secondly, lest we swing the pendulum too far, Jesus wants you to serve. Right? So if you go home this afternoon and after lunch you grab your Bible and you head to the recliner and your wife is left to clean up the dishes and she says, are you going to help me? And you, you say to her, I'm sorry, honey, I've chosen the better portion. Right? <laughs> you know, the pastor said that we're just supposed to be in the Word and so you're on your own on the dishes. Right? No, I'm not sure that would be appropriate. Right? You say, I'm not going to serve. I'm like Mary. That's, that's not Mary. That's called lazy. That's slothful. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you're saved for good works. Titus 2, you're to be zealous for good works. The book of Corinthians says you're gifted for good works. God has always had works for us to do. Genesis chapter 2, you walk with God, yes. You talk with God, yes. Is there work to do? You better believe it. His garden take care of. Keep and work the garden, he says. From the very beginning, there's been work. In fact, I would suggest to you Mary's been working. If we read the Bible carefully, look again in verse 40. Martha says to Jesus, do you not care that my sister has, what, left me to serve alone? Which means, where was Mary? In the kitchen, helping. And she has now left Martha because Jesus has arrived and she wants to be with Jesus. But Mary evidently was helping. And so we are to serve. There is work to be done. Jesus does want you to serve. There is, there is fellowship with Christ and service for Christ. There is worship And there is work. But consider lastly that Jesus wants you to serve through his service. Jesus wants you to serve through his service. What I mean by that is the worship of Christ empowers the work on behalf of Christ. That fellowship with Jesus is going to give us strength to do the service for Jesus. Mary first, Martha second. Time with Jesus first. And then you get stuff done. Because if all you are is Mary and you just sit and read the Bible and you play the role of a monk sitting on a hill and just being with him, that's sinful in a completely different way. If all you are is uh, Martha, work, 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 go, 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 right? You're going to end up anxious and troubled and, and freaking out. Jesus says, you, let's get the priorities right. Mary first, Martha second. Worship first, fellowship first, work second. Because the worship empowers the work. Jesus taught us this. Well, many places in the Bible teaches this. John 15, for instance, abide in me, and what? You will bear much fruit. 
Worship first. Come to me. Spend time with me. What's going to happen? You're going to begin to... Life is going to be transformed. You're going to have a productive life. We need to let our married time be a priority in our life. Church and community groups and personal devotions and solitude and silence before the Lord. Let it transform us and energize us and lead us into service. Please understand when Jesus says, I want to spend time with you, He's not adding something to your list. He's not saying, okay, here's another pot in which you have to stir. This is, when you spend time with Jesus, it's not something you do for Jesus. It's an opportunity to let Jesus do something for you. It's an opportunity to let Jesus actually begin to serve you. He wants to give you himself to empower your life. And I think what, what happens so often is that we live in this Martha-like world and it's go, go, go and run, run, run and work, work, work. And we come home and we think, I'm just going to cram a merry moment in at the end. And we fall into bed and we're hoping just for a, a moment with, with the Lord. And we, what we find is our mind is racing and what I got to do tomorrow. And we're all anxious and we're all worked up and you just can't cram it in at the end. The priorities are reversed. Worship empowers the work. Fellowship with Christ is going to empower your service on behalf of Christ. And of course, what this is going to require of you is faith. Because, you know, at work you have deadlines, don't you? And, you know, the baseball game starts at 10 on Saturday. And, and, you know, dinner has to be on the table at 6.30. You have deadlines, right? The sermon has to be done on Sunday, right? Monday does not work for the sermon. It has to be, there's deadline. Is there a deadline for prayer? Deadline to spend time with God? No. And so it gets squeezed out, right? Because we don't trust the Lord. The busyness of life squeeze out our time with Him. We end up anxious and troubled and robbed of the good portion. I love Martin Luther, by the way. Um, his hero of mine, uh, he was a very productive man for God. Martin Luther prayed two hours a day. But he said something. Uh, he says, I pray two hours a day, but on my really busy days, I pray three. Right? And, and it's, not, it's not the guilt, oh, I'm not, I need to pray three hours, that's not the point. The point is he understood that I, that for instance, just take me, I could, I could labor over a text for eight hours, 12 hours, 15 hours throughout the week, try to get a sermon out of it, right, in my own strength, or do I believe that if I go to God, spend time with God, that he might be able to do, give me insights into his word, and that I could get a whole sermon done in a couple hours because I actually went to him and said, let me just spend time with you. Help work in my heart. You see, the, the worship is going to empower us. You need to commit yourself to God. You need to say, no one, just like Christ says, no one's going to steal this from me. No one's going to rob my time with Jesus. No one's going to take it from me. Martha, why don't you come and sit with me? Now, the question I have is, you know, well, did she do it? I, I mean, Luke doesn't finish his story. What happened? Did she storm off? Did she go turn off the oven and come sit down? Well, Luke doesn't tell us, but I wonder if John gives us a hint. So as we end our time in God's Word, just turn over to the Gospel of John. It's a wonderful account of Martha. John is the next Bible, next book in the Bible. You just finish the book of Luke, you get to John, John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we know that Mary and Martha, they have a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus has died suddenly. And um, the whole family is stricken with grief. Many people are mourning. And by the way, where are they mourning? They're mourning at Martha's house. Because Martha's still Martha. She still opens her home. She still plays the hostess, even through tears. But then she hears, Jesus is coming. 
and she leaves her guests. She puts down her apron and she runs to Jesus. And John 11, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds like Martha, doesn't it? Martha's still Martha. But look, that's not all she says. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, will, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. She got it. Other people getting this? Scribes, Pharisees, apostles, they figuring this out? They all seem totally oblivious. And Martha comes and gives one of the greatest confessions of Christ in the New Testament. How did she figure it out? I'm not sure. We'll ask her when we get there. But I, I, I hope, I think, she heard the Lord and she chose the one thing. She sat down there at Mary's feet and says, Okay, Lord, I'm here. I want to listen to you. Help me understand. And she believed. I wonder, do you believe this? I love that phrase there, verse 26. Jesus says, do you believe this? I wonder if perhaps you're visiting here with us today and you're not a Christian. You notice what Jesus says about himself. Please, you know, there's, there's all this talk that Jesus is a good teacher and a prophet and all, all this. Notice he doesn't claim that. He says, rather, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And it's by faith in Christ that we are saved. By believing in that. I wonder if, if you would think about those words of Christ and perhaps even put your faith in him that you might be saved like Martha. Martha got it. Well, turn over to Luke chapter 12. This is another beautiful event. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2, so they gave him a dinner there. Martha served, right? (laughs) Martha's still Martha. She's still cooking. Praise God. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. So there they are, a dinner for Jesus a week before he's crucified. Well, where's Mary? Well, Mary's... At the feet of Christ, once again, verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, right? Mary takes the alabaster jar perfume. This is worth a year's wage, right? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars and she breaks it and pours it out on Christ, most likely a family heirloom pours it out on his head and his feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair and everyone is scandalized. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The other gospel writers tell us that all the apostles begin to shout, What a waste! What a waste! What a foolish act! And they begin to accuse this poor woman who's pouring out her heart to Jesus and Jesus responds to all these accusations in verse 7. Jesus said, to, said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Matthew 26 tells us in this account, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Friends, who knew that Jesus was going to die? The apostles? 
Even though he told them over and over and over again, I'm going to die. I'm going to hand over to these guys. They're going to send me over to these guys and they're going to kill me. They're over and over, right? Still total dismayed, shocked when he's killed. Who knew that he was going to die? Mary. Why? She chose the good portion. She sat at the feet of Jesus and she listened. Everyone else is saying, what, what are you doing? Jesus says, be quiet. While you all bicker about who's the greatest among you, this woman actually is preparing me for my death. You have two sisters. Mary believes in the cross before the crucifixion. Martha believes in the resurrection before Easter Sunday. How did they know? They did the one thing. They took the good portion. They sat in Jesus and listened. Disciples listened to Jesus. And friends, maybe, maybe somewhere, maybe you've grown cold. Maybe you've grown distant from God. Maybe you've been pushing him out with the busyness of life. You need to repent. You need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You need to say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm coming back to you. May you do and choose the good portion like these sisters. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to learn it. Help us to apply it to our lives. That we might believe by faith that it is in at the feet of Christ. That's the one thing. And that is through pursuing that one thing, our fellowship with you, our relationship with you, that you will give us the strength and the energy and the wisdom to handle all the other things in our lives. Help us to return to Christ. I imagine some of my friends here, it's been quite some time. Will you not bring them back to you, even this afternoon, before the TV goes on, before this or that goes on, and say, I just, I just want to spend some time with Jesus. May we be people who choose the good portion. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.